quickly, we'll go to the next slide. Are we in, guys? <laughs> Here we go. Look at that. Who's good on the trampoline? Anyone? Anyone ever broken a limb on the trampoline? Good. That didn't affect your bounce back. Fantastic. Well, what do I mean by bounce back? Just like that snippet of the song we heard, that when you get knocked down, you get back up again. And all of us have some times in life where we get the stuffing maybe knocked out of us temporarily and we have a choice about how we proceed from there. And, you know, it's all about if we're resourceful and resilient. What do we, what do, we do when challenge comes our way? And, you know, this word resilience is a word that's bandied around educational and psychological settings quite a lot today. And I think there's a school program on resilience. But, you know, it's an important... It's actually not even just important. I would say it's essential for disciples of Christ to develop resilience, that we actually keep the springing our step, that we keep our bounce back, that when things come that knock us, that we get back up again. And uh, this morning, to kick that off, I just want to share a bit of a testimony about We Are Youth. Now, We Are Youth wasn't always called We Are Youth. I think we started as 180 Youth um, when I took on the church. And we started with two and a half people and a cricket. No. <laughs> and, uh, you know, youth ministry is uh, kind of an area that it's high energy, heaps of fun, but there's also high turnover because you only just get one lot of trained up and then they go off and then there's your leadership team, um, you know, for various reasons that look different than we thought it would at different times. You just get it all nailed down and someone goes and does their HSC or goes off to university or whatever it is and you've got to reinvent it all over again. And we had some um, speed humps and some setbacks over the last four and a half years and at times uh, the team that was newly merged, we tried a partnership with one church which was good for a while but then there was a change and we then partner, as you know now, with COC or otherwise known as INC and, you know, Josh and Angela, myself and the team, the current team that we were developing with us, sometimes got a bit tired or sometimes got a bit frustrated, you know, when things happened or didn't happen. And, you know, we could have said, no, that's it, we can't do this, it's too hard. But we never did because we had a great vision of seeing young people in our community, not just in our church, but gather under the name of Christ. And of course, we had some great highlights like Come Together Namoy as well and all the rest of that. But you know what? Whenever we hit a setback, we sort of dusted ourselves off, regrouped, rested if we were tired, dreamed again, got a bit creative. Okay, well, we can't do this or we don't have that or that person's not here. H how do we do it now? And you know what? We, we um, had a great time along the way because we just made sure that we just kept enjoying what we were doing. You know what I mean? It's, at first, what was a slog became good fun. And then on Friday night, um, actually before Friday night, this term we head back to youth and I actually wasn't really sure who the team was and somehow our team just expanded at the beginning of this year and Angus was back off sick leave. Welcome to Angus, he's from our Weebor congregation. Good to have you in this morning. And that was amazing. Good for Angus because it's not much fun being sick and so we're really pleased that he's doing so much better in himself and he's back on team and back um, in his internship as well. But, you know, we just had this event where suddenly the team just grew and we didn't actually have much of a team. We thought, I don't think we can just run this with the three of us and suddenly the people that were 17 turned 18 and can be counted as leaders and all this stuff happened and help came and we gathered team from We Were Another Girl and, and around as well. 
And then, so that was a good move. And then within the first three weeks of this term, the group doubled in size. And then it increased again, and then it increased again. And uh, so what was a fortnightly commitment for me then became a weekly commitment when I was in town because we just needed sheer numbers of force in the room. And, uh, you know, we had our event on Friday night called We Are Live and we actually had 40 high schoolers on team for that that were part of the teams, whether it was decorating, hosting, sound, lighting, platform stuff to make that happen. Of course, our amazing band of youth, let's give them a round of applause. It's Riley and Ash and whoever else I've missed. And you know what, there was actually 120 people there, some of yourselves, and we raised in excess, I haven't got the final figures, I'll have to talk to your mum, Holly, wherever Holly's gone. Oh, okay. I was going to try and hit her up if she had some info. I'll ask her later. Um, in excess of $500 was raised for an idea that I had that um, the high school has approved so far that we're starting a perpetual award. Whoever gets the first one won't get 500 bucks. It's for future years as well. That we're going to award a leadership prize that's called the We Are Youth Leadership Award, demonstrating that we love young people, that we believe in young people, and we want to see them do well. So, so that is pretty exciting and you know what it's not over yet we're going to catch our breath and we're going to regroup for next term and so thank you to parents and citizens here because so many of you have supported um, we are youth um, just through your prayers um, or just through maybe rocking up to clean something or count something or whatever else so thank you so much but with any ministry that's just an example but youth ministry in particular but all sorts of areas you need to have your bounce back because, you know, stuff's to think, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on here? And, you know, the most important thing is that we do bounce back. Because, you know, we actually can't have the wins if we don't stay in the game. And so this morning's message is all about encouraging us that if ever we have those seasons or those situations where we feel deflated, where we're feeling tired, to encourage us, just keep showing up, just keep turning up. Just keep bouncing back and watch what God does. And of course, I love that new song today, Brad. Um, I hope we, are we doing it next week too? The resurrection one? Oh, we could. Yeah, what a good idea because it's Resurrection Sunday. Like it. Um, anyway, but you know, Jesus Christ is the best example, the supreme example for us of someone that had a great bounce back. You know, he died on the cross for our sins, didn't he? For all of our sins. It was a heavy burden he bore because the father couldn't even look at him for a moment because he bore the sin of mankind and he was buried for three days but that wasn't the end of the story he had great bounce back and he rose from the dead demonstrating that he had power over death and sin and he's victorious forever and sin couldn't bury him and keep him down and he's alive today and so you're going to have opportunity after the service if you want to come and talk to me if you don't know this Jesus with this great bounce back story and I'd love to introduce you to him but come and talk to me about it later and of course come back next week because at Easter time we definitely celebrate that um, amazing fact even more so but this morning I'll get into the message and if you're taking notes the the notes the title is where, what did I just say it was? How was your bounce back? That's what it is. I just need a drink of water. My heart is full of all the good things that God has been doing. But you know, the Apostle Paul is a great example of a person 
that had great bounce back in life. He was resilient. You know, when opposition came, when circumstances came, when challenge came, he bounced back. He just couldn't hold him down. And we know that he had a life-changing encounter with Christ. And this is well known. And, um, you know, and even the fact that he was a great persecutor of God's people, he then actually had to be there on the receiving end of that because eventually he became persecuted uh, for his commitment to preaching the gospel. And so eventually for Paul, his destiny was this, that he was actually arrested in the temple in Jerusalem in AD 57. And he was taken to Caesarea to be interrogated by Antonius Felix. Anyone remember the cartoon Felix the cat? The wonderful, wonderful cat? Yeah, okay, showing our age. It was very old school. But that's how I remember this dude's name because of Felix the cat. Hey, it works for me. Anyway, and he was the Roman governor of the time and he was friendly to Paul and he actually kept him around in Caesarea for a couple of years. And it was then sort of the next governor came and uh, they had to sort of shuffle the problem on to the next governor. And this guy was named Festus. And I think Festus is like Festy, so that's how I remember it. Festy replaced Felix the cat. Anyway, and he offered to send Paul um, to stand trial in Jerusalem. But Paul actually requested to have a trial for his supposed crimes of being a Christian and proclaiming the gospel um, in Rome because it was his right as a Roman citizen. And so he was placed under guard by a guy called Julius, a Roman centurion who was to travel with him on his journey to Rome. And um, Julius or Julius actually escorted him to a boat at Caesarea and they set off on a big voyage. And they sailed along the sea coast and it was getting a little bit late in the season for sailing. I hate boats. I never want to go on a cruise. I get seasick. Like it's just, this whole thing just fills me with like seasickness and fear, even just thinking about it. But anyway, and as we know, um, if we know this story around Malta, as he, how he landed in Malta, is that the winds were not especially cooperative on that journey. And because it's Paul, and he's the protagonist of this true story today. And we know, Paul, that he has one adventure after another. And then another adventure. And then another adventure that he bounce, bounces along to. Of course, what happens? He gets involved in a storm and he's shipwrecked. Of course he does, because it's Paul and he has these adventures. And so we're going to pick up the story. If you have your Bibles or your phone Bible, you can turn to it now um, in the book of Acts in chapter 27. And we're only going to read a small section. It's a very long chapter. And if you love a good salty sea dog story, read in there. If you're a mariner, you ought to read it because they go into a lot of detail, but we don't have time this morning. Uh, Luke, the writer, goes into a lot of detail. I think he was a closet fisher person and he loved boats. It's a lot of detail. Anyway, the storm at sea in verse 13, we're just going to read. Um, Okay, if you have the the Bible, you can put it up, but if you don't, I'll just read it. Okay, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up an anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. And the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength, called a nor'easter, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. That was in the New Living Translation. And then the NIV um, expresses that last sentence like this. The ship was caught up by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. 
And, you know, we know that um, from when we read that story that the boat was actually lost at sea and it ended up thousands of miles away and shipwrecked eventually on the tiny island of Malta. And we'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, this literal storm that they had, it was an actual storm. We can have many storms in our life that aren't on a boat. But this actual physical storm they experienced, a hurricane, northeaster, typhoon, whatever phrase you want to use, it was a pretty hectic storm. It was the real deal, okay? They were in this terrifying experience and the experienced sailors realised that they actually couldn't fly, or not fly, that's a metaphor, that's the wrong one in this case, they couldn't sail (laughs) in the face of the storm because their ship was actually going to be broken up if they tried to head into the wind. So the only choice they really had for survival's sake was to actually go with the wind and let it drive them where it would. And, you know, I think there's a great truth for us here in our life, even if we're never on a boat, and I don't plan to be on a boat too often, but when we experience stormy seas in our life, that we actually remember sometimes that there might come a critical point. Like, if you can get out of the storm, great. You know, if you can book your passage on a a nice, you know, flat sea and, and have a nice experience, do that. But if it gets to that point that you can't actually avoid that crisis that situation and that storm, sometimes you just actually have to give in to it or give way to it, trusting that God is actually going to be in that storm and he's actually going to be on the other side of that storm. And uh, everyone said amen because I'm sure that you're all thinking of situations in your life that you can identify with. Nobody wants to be in a storm. Nobody wants to get seasick. Nobody wants to have terrifying waves and and risk of death. But sometimes if it's at that critical point, you actually, the greater uh, or the smarter thing to do is to actually go with it. And, you know, there's times in all of our life that we have to surrender to God because ultimately in some of those storms, um, we have no chance of getting out of it unless he's there with us and helping us ride it out. And, you know, um, I, I think that when I read the word, and I think, I think you'll agree with me, that there's, there's two main types of faith that are talked about. And faith in our life, faith in your life and my life, are outworked in a couple of ways. Firstly, we can have faith that we're going to be delivered from something. And we pray the prayer of faith and we stand together. And then for whatever reason, there's different circumstances that God allows in our life where it becomes evident that God's path in that situation isn't that we're going to be spared from it, but that we're actually going to go through it. And then that faith that we develop and that God wants us to exercise, because faith is like a muscle that we exercise, then is all about sustaining faith, keeping our eyes on him even in the storm. And then the testimony comes in, not that God prevented it from happening, which I really, I probably prefer that one. (laughs) I I quite like, let's just be spared of this. I don't want this drama. Someone else deal deal with it. Um, But the testimony then is in the trial and the test that we weathered with God's help. And that is where the testimony is. And God, I think for all of our, for all of us in our discipleship life, develops both sorts of faith in our life because it actually keeps us balanced. And um, Ephesians 6.13 says this, having done everything, stand firm. Having done all. It doesn't mean that you don't use your common sense, um, use your brain, 
use, you know, what resources are at your hand to help yourself. Do all that, but having done all, if the situation hasn't changed, if the storm hasn't abated, if that wind hasn't settled down, stand firm. And uh, who's been reading the word for today, this week? Who reads the word for today, last week, and pretends it's this week? No. <laughs> That's okay. Don't, don't be put, just pick it up and read the thing anyway. But I read in this week, and I think it was this week and not last month, um, there was this, this little paragraph that was written. Stand firm when your enemies seem to prosper. Stand firm when the wicked seem to be winning. Stand firm when big people seem to act small and little people demand authority they don't deserve. Stand firm when no one will even know if you compromised. Stand firm. And I thought that was worth writing down. I really, I thought that that covered a whole lot of situations and it was a great encouragement. And sometimes we think we have to be geniuses. We think we have to be amazing. But actually, all we have to do is stand firm, weather the storm. You know, so getting back to Paul, shipwreck and then hanging out with the natives of Malta probably wasn't his plan A. In fact, it definitely wasn't part of his plan A. He was on his way to Rome, remember. But God was actually able to use him in this situation. And as we'll see in a little while, he was actually able to minister there and see God's power demonstrated. So God was able to use it, whether he destined it or whether he just used the situation, it all worked out fine. And in fact, in this account, the winds of storm blew Paul right to where he was meant to be. Because if we think about it, God had an appointment for this island, and we're going to read about it in a little while. And so sometimes at the time, we just think, oh, this is, doesn't feel very blessed. I'm, like Milton says, you say to him, how are you, Milton? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And so Paul's saying he's blessed, but he's probably not feeling very blessed at that moment. But you know what? That island was blessed because of what happened in that stormy situation. And, you know, sometimes um, we look at things and we need to remind ourselves that God is actually in control of what seems out of control to us. And we just have to keep demonstrating that. So turn to the person next to you and say, God is in control of what seems out of control. Can you do that? Thank you. <laughs> just working out which bits I'll leave in and which bits I'm going to chuck out here. So you know what? The journey to Rome was actually the will of God and not really the will of the Roman judicial system at the time because remember the disciples were told that they were to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And for them, the ends of the earth, the known world, was the Roman Empire at that time. And so for Paul to actually be transported to Rome was good for him to appeal his case, but it also meant that the gospel was going to be spread in Rome. So you can see how um, cool God is about how he uses all the situations in our life to get us to where we need to be and to fulfil his purposes. But Paul had great bounce back. So Picking up the story again, he's on the boat with all the other prisoners who, who knows what their crimes were, maybe real crimes, not just religious crimes or freedom crimes. And they had been lost at sea for at least 14 nights and they were being driven across the Adriatic Sea still. And I think that's a long, long time and they didn't eat a lot of food and, and I've learnt that I was on a boat once on Christmas Day. Um, we only went a short distance from some place. Where would we leave from, Roddy, to go to Capri? 
Sorrento, that's it. Anyway, and because it was Christmas lunch we were meant to be having on the island, okay, nobody had eaten anything. And then the boat's doing these, these ones, these ones with the waves. And Rod was the only person that wasn't sick. Oh, no, I wasn't sick, but seriously, who's wearing green today? Anyone celebrating St. Patrick's Day late? Green earrings? Right. Literally, yeah, I was the colour. They all took photos of me. They couldn't believe it. I was the colour of those green earrings. Disgusting. So imagine this scene on this boat in treacherous conditions, not knowing the outcome. At one stage, the lifeboat was cut off because they thought, well, no, we can't leave our best chances on this boat. We're going to stick with it. Long story short, you'll have to read Acts 27 yourselves. But imagine it, the uncertainty, the seasickness, and then they discern that there might be land and so there's great hope. But then they run aground and then the, ba the boat is getting pounded and the stern is smashed to pieces and then the prison, no, the prison guards decide... I think we need to kill the prisoners because they're going to escape. Imagine that. Imagine going through this whole scenario, the whole shipwreck, you know. Okay, we bounced from back from that. We're now stranded on this coral thing. Great, now they're going to kill us. Anyway, long story short, um, the uh, centurion Julius that was travelling with Paul intervened because he had to get his prisoner to where he was meant to go and all the prisoners, not just Paul, were spared. And then they basically say, swim for your lives, here's a plank if you can't swim and they all make it uh, to dry land safely. Not a bad bounce back, I think. They all made it. And I don't think even though many of us have had struggles in life, I don't think many of us here have probably had anything quite like that happen. And they bounce back. They didn't just, they didn't just go, right, I've had enough. I'm going to die. My watery tomb is here. I can't possibly make it to the beach. They got out of that situation and they made it to shore. So Paul bounced back from the storm. He bounced back from the shipwreck. And the next thing that happened when he was on the island, we're going to actually have a look at the island, I think. I've got a picture. Isn't that beautiful? That's what it looked like when it was all calm. He only stayed three days. I would have tried to extend my stay, uh, I feel. <laughs> I'll catch the next plane out, thanks, and extend my visa. That looks just lovely. Anyway, so they're setting up on the beach there. The natives were actually quite friendly. And, of course, Paul, because he's Paul, gets bitten by a venomous viper at this point. No problem. Holy Spirit bounce back, comes in play. And I'll read it to you. So turn to Acts 28, 1 verse to 10. Paul on the island of Malta. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people off the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy. Not like that picture. That's the next morning. And, and so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people off the island saw it hanging from his hand. Can you just imagine it? <laughs> Us visual people. Anyway, and said, he's a murderer, no doubt. <laughs> Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and then they ate it for No, they didn't. And was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. You can just imagine them sitting there watching what's going to happen next. And, um, but he didn't. They saw that he wasn't harmed. And so they changed their mind and decided he was a god. Not quite right, but they're getting a little bit closer that he knows God. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Pabulus, the chief official of the island. 
He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people who were on the island came and were healed. Word spread quickly. As a result, we were showered with honours, and when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for help. What a great story. And if you actually read it in depth, those two chapters, 27 and 28, you see this is amazing that they actually got to do all this cool stuff and live to tell the story. And, you know, um, we're running out of time, so we'll just go to this, but I want you to take away two takeaways from today, not just that it was a cool story and uh, not just the bounce back part, but I want you to remember that actions speak loudly. Actions speak loudly. Because, you see, in this chapter, that section I just read about their, their stay on Malta, something is missing. If you think of the previous accounts of when Paul was in Athens, um, Athens and Ephesus, etc., there's no big speeches. Does Paul make a, a big speech that's recorded? No, there's no big preaching moments that are recorded. And so most of this stuff that happened on the island was really about what they, the natives saw, not what they heard. And in fact, there probably would have been a... Um, a bit of a language barrier. Um, obviously, Paul's aware a little bit of what they're saying because he knows what they say about him, that, you know, he must have done something wrong to get bitten by a snake. You know, so th- there's some language. But clearly, with I, I infer from the fact that there's no big speeches that there's something of a language barrier. There's also something of a cultural barrier on this island because, you know, at that time, if you were um, a Roman, um, you considered that the Roman em- Empire was superior and all of those... Um, nations or people that came under your rule were less than you. And in fact, the island people were not just called islanders on in Malta, they were actually called barbarians or barbarous people, it translates. And so anyway, um, Paul actually introduces them to Christ through the miraculous and through cutting across those language and cultural barriers. So whether or not um, they could understand everything that was going on, the different people on the boat could understand the different people on the island, the main thing is Holy Spirit showed up, not just with the viper, them getting safe to shore, but with all the healing that took place. And so that's an important thing to remember that sometimes we don't always have the words. Words are important, and I feel at some stage the gospel was shared, as we see later on. Um, But, you know, actions do speak loudly. And I think that when we have the demonstration of the power of God, that can cut across any environment, um, any barriers that we have. And so according to tradition, Publius, who was the Roman governor, remember that came and said, look, my dad-in-law is sick, that guy. It actually is documented um, reasonably um, historically accurately, as far as you can tell these things, that he actually became the first bishop of Malta. And following his conversion to Christianity, so yes, the island did become a Christian um, island down the track. It says, I think I read in history books, that there was, he ruled the Maltese church for 31 years. And that tradition has it that there was a continuous line of bishops You might have different opinions of bishops, but back then I think it was just the leader of the church, so we'll go with that. And um, from the days of Paul to the time of the Emperor Constantine. And so really those actions that spoke loudly and then the word that followed obviously made a huge difference to that island. 
So remember that in our lives, actions speak loudly. The second takeaway um, is revelation trumps reason. I think we've got that. Oh, we're the wrong way. One more? Go again? Oh, thank you. You know, um, this demonstration of the power of God was so powerful and it cut through those barriers that I mentioned. But, you know, it's not to say that our brain isn't important or understanding or reason isn't important. It is. But the Bible clearly says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And uh, Paul himself goes from knowing everything. He was, had fairly good self-opinion. He did back in the beginning when he was persecuting the church of how he'd been schooled in the Jewish tradition and he was good at this and he was good at that. So he goes from that to realising that he knows nothing. He realises that the knowledge that he'd acquired wasn't going to necessarily serve him well currently. And or more correctly, he probably goes to, from knowing um, everything to knowing nothing to knowing just one thing. And it says in Philippians 3.8, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it as rubbish or dung, as my old King James Bible says this, um, so that I could gain Christ. And you know, I reckon when you hit trouble, when you hit the storm, when you hit the shipwreck, the shipwreck when you hit or the viper bite hits you, whatever it is, at that time, you don't need just book knowledge. You know, it's, it might be handy for how to build a fire if, if you don't know or something, pick up sticks, okay, anyway. But you know what you actually need? You actually need a revelation of who God is and who he is in your life. And that is the thing that gave Paul his bounce back. Did I put a picture of a revelation up there? Oh, no, I didn't. I'm remiss. But you know what? It is so key for Paul. Let me just uh, read to you um, what he said at the end of his third missionary journey. You see, he knew that he was going to have all these adventures and he actually knew that he was going to end up killed. And it says in Acts 20, 18 to 24, when he's speaking um, in Ephesus, he says this, verse 18 of Acts 20. You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus." I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lies ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. What is this work? The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. This is how powerful revelation is. This revelation that Paul has sustains him through all these trials and challenges, through the storms and the shipwreck and the snake bite and everything else. And actually this revelation powers him to share the revelation with others. It's a contagious thing. And, um, and I love that bit where it says in the passage, I have endured, I have never shrank back. 
that is the spirit of someone that has got great bounce back. And um, I wish I could say that I've always done that. I think sometimes I have maybe shrank back, maybe temporarily, (laughs) and then got my bounce back. You know, and it reminds me that we should never make big decisions in the moment of suffering or trial, you know, because that moment doesn't define the whole destiny necessarily. And even if it does, there is release and freedom on the other side of that. And so if you guys, the creative team, might want to come up as I just finish with a few things. I just want to talk briefly about resilience versus entitlement. We hear a lot about how this generation or the generations, I think we could all include ourselves in it, are referred to as the entitlement generation. You know, we have life pretty good. We have a great standard of living in Australia compared to recent times or other nations. You can often hear that negativity, you're the entitlement generation. You think everything's going to happen for you with no hard work. You know, you just get it all easy. And I think sometimes if this is true, and I don't really like going into the negativity, I just think, oh, just pull out the good bits and throw out the rest, you know. But if this is true, I think sometimes that it would sneak occasionally into church thinking or church speaking. And, you know, we never want a sense of entitlement because we have life good in Australia or in Narrabri, um, even amidst challenges, to, to actually creep into the gospel message. Because don't get me wrong, grace is such a powerful message. Once we see grace, have that revelation and we get it consolidated in our life, it actually will activate us like fear never could. So it's so powerful, so powerful. But you know what? We actually serve a God who gives us a full experience in life as well. Just because we are kids of the King, just because we are sons and daughters of the kings, the King of Kings, doesn't mean that we don't live in a broken and fallen world where we do encounter stuff. And uh, we do have suffering and hardship, even if we're not called, like Paul, to, um, to die for his faith. And so we definitely have God's favour. We're definitely blessed. But you know what, it wouldn't be a true gospel I was sharing if I was saying that, no, part of the reason that we're blessed is so that we can overcome challenge. It's not just going to be all pain-free and free of distress. And that God actually wants us to build resilience, to build faith, to build hope and love in tough times in our life and not think that, make the mistake of the immature islanders who think because you were bitten by a snake, or because you had suffering, that you actually must have done something wrong. No, no. He got bitten by a snake because there was one in the fire that came out. <laughs> there was, you know what I mean? Like We live in a world where stuff happens. And so don't ever be that person that accuses someone else or accuses yourself that because there is a trial in your life, that it's because you've done something wrong. Unless it is a consequence of your dumb behaviour, well then go and fix that, that's fine. But remember that we live in a broken world and the power of the gospel message is not that everything is perfect out there, but that He has made us perfect in His sight and that we are washed clean and accountable to Him. And so what does resilience mean for us as a church, as an individual? How do we bounce back better if we feel a bit low at times or experience some challenge or change or loss? Well, I think tenacity has got a lot to do with it. Paul was very tenacious. 
And I think that's what a disciple of Christ is, someone that keeps having a go, keeps turning up, keeps showing up. And um, at a roundtable thing I was at the other week with our state president, Paul Bartlett, for New South Wales ACC, he was sharing about, he, think, he thinks as a leader, and just as a Christian, the biggest factor for him in keeping his resilience, he didn't say bounce back, but I'm going to put those words in his mouth, was that he actually just, you know, he was happy to be on his own in an opinion or a decision. He didn't necessarily wait till everybody agreed with him. He didn't wait till he had the popularity results in and said, that's a good idea, Paul, in that sense. He just kept tenaciously turning up not being driven by the crowd, but being driven by his conscience and running the race that he was called to, to run and not worrying about what everybody else thought because the opinion of God was actually more important. I think that to keep our bounce back, we actually have to be determined to keep our bounce back. We need to make sure that hope and faith and love are working in our lives. We need forgiveness. You can't keep your bounce back if you, if you don't um, forgive others. It will hold you down. It will involve sacrifice, maybe times of fasting and prayer, whatever. Whatever it takes. What is it? What's the Nike ad? Just do it. Just do it. Get your bounce back. And I really felt that as I was preparing this, that this was a word for our church, but maybe even for an individual. There's someone here that you're feeling flat. You're feeling deflated and Holy Spirit wants you to know you can get your bounce back. You will get your bounce back, but you actually just need to include the Holy Spirit. You see, Holy Spirit in the Greek, in the New Testament, is often translated as paraclete, the one who comes alongside and helps. And you know what? We can't be world changers like um, it's, the disciples are described in the book of Acts. We can't always be bouncy <laughs> if we don't have the help of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I'd like you to stand with me. Took a bit of effort. Bounce back. Come on, guys. Bounce back. <laughs> Who needs help from the Holy Spirit? You don't have to put your hand up, but you can. Yeah. Who needs help from the Holy Spirit? I love that. Be keen. Awesome. We're actually just going to play, um, or the, Brad and the team are going to play the chorus of Holy Spirit. And I want you guys, if you need the help of Paraclete, to come alongside, to put your bounce back in your game so you can get that longevity going again and keeping keep the game for the, the long haul. I want you to speak to him directly and ask for him in this moment, in this song, to actually give you your bounce back. Okay, guys, let's do that. Spirit, you are. 